we go. You are listening to Law and Gospel on this Rumination Thursday, June the 8th in the year of our Lord, 2023. I know, well, a couple of programs ago, I thought we were in April, and I misstated that. No, we're in June, all the way to the 8th. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and with me is my good co-host, Wes Reimnitz. Hi, Wes. Hi, Tom. How are you doing? Well, I'm not in April. I'm in June. Oh, that's good. It's good to realize where you're at. Yes. Well, once more, we congratulate you on emails received. Uh, this first email is from a Jason Geminis. Uh, he writes a number of things. And what caught my attention was his title, Exposing Three Church Weaknesses That Cause Moral Decline. So what's this article about? Well, there was an extensive survey that was done out of the research center in Arizona Christian University. And they concluded that belief in absolute moral truth rooted in God's word is rapidly eroding among all American adults. This includes those who were church and unchurched, those belonging to every political segment and every age group. And for this reason, he, he wanted to try and take it down to three areas in the church for the moral decline due to the erosion of God's truth. Yes. And so the article is about these three areas of moral decline and how we can combat each one. What, what's the first area of moral decline? First area to combat is the weakening theology of the church. With the rise of secularization and progressivism in the church, there are many talking heads who preach against the Bible as God's Word. Yes, in fact, one progressive pastor in recent weeks vocalized his view of the Bible by asserting, the Bible is not the Word of God, it is not self-interpreting, it is not a science book, it's not an answer rule book, it's not inerrant or infallible. Rather, it is a product of the community, a library of texts, multivocal, and human responses to God, living and dynamic. Now, when I was at the seminary, they called that the historical critical method, which meant you don't believe what the Bible had to say. Hardly any of the historic facts of the Bible were agreed to. And people would disagree with creationism, going through the Red Sea, uh, people who were in Babylonian captivity, and of course, many of the miracles of Jesus. And they would not stay grounded in the Bible. Right. As in the word of God. I kind of explained it this way. You take a Bible and put it out in front of you, and you take it to eye level, 
and drop it to eye level and you decide what stories you're going to accept in it and what you believe. Or you take it at eye level and raise it above your eyes and you look up into the Bible and you see it as the Word of God and God himself speaking. Yeah, there was uh, an American at the beginning of the country, uh, Jefferson. What did he do with the Bible? That one I don't re recall. He took out all the miracles. Oh, he did? Oh, yeah. And he tried to uh, keep it as a, a book that was important, but not really about Jesus at all. There was a, there was a, a slave, slavery Bible, they call it, put out um, by a, a, a Dutch captain. He took all the, the verbs and adjectives to slavery out yep. of that Bible to, to point out that, that slavery was okay. Yeah, now they quote here Colossians 2, verse 8, which exhorts every Christian to do what? Um, to, according to human tradition, element of spirits, according to, to Christ. Uh, There's Christian, a direct quote from Colossians 2, 8 there. Right. See to it that no one takes you captive by a philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental principles of the world, and not according to Christ. See, the elemental principles of the world are the way that normal human beings think who are not captive by the Holy Spirit. And so they try and use human reason, human logic, etc., and they come out against the Bible many a time. What, what's the second area that he thinks we need to combat in the church? He says it's the worship of self in the church. As, what does that uh, mean? Well, it's, uh, it's when we believe that we should be satisfied rather than God glorified in worship, that uh, we're satisfied with what God has done and what we, we have done instead of giving God all the glory. I think that's a really important point, that worship services like that do not put God as number one, but put us as number one and that we need to be satisfied in a worship service because we are made for him rather than God being made for us. And therefore, given this, people seek to follow the three biblical mandates to counteract and squelch idolatry in the church. And what are those three biblical mandates? Well, one is humble yourself before God, James 4, 7. Submit yourselves and therefore to God. The word submit means to surrender to God's will. Second is to serve others above yourself. In Philippians chapter 2, do nothing from heart, selfish ambition and, 
or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. And thirdly, use your spiritual gifts to build up the church. In Romans 12, so we, through many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. I think that not doing those three items to humble ourselves, serve others, and use your spiritual gifts to build up the church, that that is a reason why many people have stopped going to church because they want to be entertained. They they want to have uh, music that they enjoy uh, rather than good Christian hymns. Uh, they They want to have various ways in which the worship gives them happiness because that's what they're looking for. And and therefore, sermons that preach the law are really not recognized as valid worship because who wants to be criticized for what they're doing wrong? And therefore, I think that's a big area to combat is the worshiping of self in the church combined with the first area, the weakening of theology. What is the third area to combat? Well, that one's probably just as well fits in with these other two. It is to combat the notion that sin is subjective. There's a rising number of untrained evangelicals still in our pews who justify sin in their life as well as the lives of others. Even pastors are giving to cultural pressures, crafting eloquent sermons that justify moral sins like same-sex marriage, abortion, or transgression. Yes, if you turn from KFUO and listen to other radio stations that are supposedly preaching, you'll find that where they're okaying same-sex marriage, abortion, transgenderism is a big thing today. What's transgenderism? Well, it's uh, being born with a male body thinking you're a woman or a woman with a woman's body thinking you're a male. Exactly. And there are states now that say that teachers can do actually surgery on their children to change their gender without telling their parents. Can you believe that? Yeah, I can. There was a a national TV show on the other night that was talking about transgenderism and LGBTQ, and they made it sound like like, uh, they were always born that way. But uh, um, a psychiatrist or a psychologist that I ran into said, there's there's a mental illness there when when they start hearing uh, that they're, they're, they're of that system, that it is not normal behavior. Yes, that's well said. The second article we should look at by John Stone Street is entitled, Why So Many Are Choosing Couches Over Pews? 
Now, he starts off by talking about COVID-19 pandemic and the lockdowns in many churches, but that has changed our lives. In fact, I was unaware of this. The U.S. Census Bureau says the number of Americans working primarily from home has tripled since 2019. And a number of them will never go back to full-time commuting to work, nor they want to, although there are some signs of a reset on the horizon. And yeah, that's going, that's going on right now. The uh, companies are saying either return to work or you get your walking papers. I'm unaware of that. It's been on the news here off and on for the last couple of weeks. But you can see certain areas like fast food restaurants, they have a lot less people in the restaurant. But like when we go a lot of times Sunday morning, we go into a McDonald's area about 5 a.m., which time they open. And there's only one person in there. And we mm -hmm. order, and she prepares it and gives it to us. It, it, it's really quite amazing how they have shortened the number of people necessary in these areas. And, and that's why they're able to pay $16 an hour, because there are so few that even want to work. Mm. So not only is there a large scale exodus from people going to work, what's the other large scale exodus going on? Well, the exodus in person to church, uh, according to Pew Research, nearly all houses of worship had resumed regular in-person services by this time last year but fewer Christians were actually returning. There's a church, there's a steeple, an open door, but where do people go? Yeah, remember what was that saying? Here's the church, here's the door, here's the people. And now they're saying, nope, there's the church, there's the steeple, open the door, but where are the people? people Interesting. Yeah. Now, Last year, one-third of Americans admitted to never attending religious services. That was up from a quarter of Americans before the pandemic. They also found no lockdown-induced surge in atheism, nor drop in religious affiliation. Instead, for the most part, religious identity remained stable through the pandemic. But large numbers of people who once decided and were identified as Christians have decided they no longer need to attend church. While COVID may have been the impetus, the root causes are much deeper. What do many Christians think of the church? Well, they think of the church, yeah as a, an event, a concert, or a TED Talk, uh, optional experiences that you can 
just as easily be consumed remotely. So, you know, bedtime. Uh, now, we get the in my congregation, I did remotely give the sermon over the internet during COVID. Did that happen in your congregation? Yes and no, to a degree that they they did. Uh, well, Havana did, did uh, with the radio program, was able to do that and then put, put the sermons online with uh, the Internet. Now, when I read this article, I was a little surprised because it gives the indication that many people haven't returned to church. But I'm working with four churches right now, and all four of them have definitely come up to the attendance that they had prior to the COVID. So why do you think that's happening in particularly good Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod churches versus other congregations? I think it goes back to the first article in, in Bad Theology. There's no law gospel uh, coming forth from there. Um, people, I, I believe, go to church to, to, to hear what God has to say and to hear him talk about the sins that we commit and that they are forgiven through the Savior, the gospel message, makes a difference. And when they're not hearing that, and they're hearing do good, and somehow you'll make it, it's not going very far. Yes, that's a really good way of putting it, that the message of the Scripture is not explicit in the preaching of sermons. Yesterday I talked about the Athanasian Creed, and I said the first 27 verses of the Creed would not be sermon material, because it is an explanation of how we understand the Trinity from a biblical point of view. But people could still believe in a God that is everywhere, that's all-powerful, that's all-knowing, and still not believe in the Trinity. So that isn't saving. But the second part of the Athanasian Creed talked about Jesus Christ, who suffered and died for us, and whose payment for our sins took place, and Jesus forgave us. That's sermonic material. I agree. So I think that's a really important point, that you need to have something. It's kind of like going to a restaurant, and maybe you've enjoyed it, but you finally go and the food isn't as good as it used to be. So you stop going. But if you go to a restaurant and the food is really delicious, then you want to keep on going. What's happened in many churches is they are not being fed properly. And they're not being fed with the law to help them see the need for a savior and they're not being fed with the gospel to help them realize that the Savior has saved them from eternal hell. And that's really, yeah. really important. 
I think so. It, it kind of reminds me of when I we had a parish in Indiana and had field students, you know, that were in their second year at the seminary, and yes. they would preach and do liturgy. And uh, I remember one of my members, who was a state patrolman, uh, who who came up to me later and he said, he said, I don't mean to be rude, but he said. When I come, I want to hear that I'm a sinner, and I want to hear that I'm saved by grace. And when when you do the benediction, I want the fullness of the benediction that I go with God's peace and grace. And uh, that was something that I always shared with the seminarians, that uh, be bold, uh, don't uh, wax and wane on this stuff. Yes, the article said that What's happened is we've watered down the habits of the world in place of the riches provided in the testimony of Scripture and the God-ordained practices of the church. Why would neighbors be drawn to warmed-over versions of the world's leftovers? I thought that was really an important point. I thought that was really uh, quite descriptive of what goes on, you know. Uh, they 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 had these various programs going on in the church, but without the the, the impetus of of the gospel behind it, they're just moral uh, sort of things to be doing. Yes. So we don't preach and say what people want us to say. We preach what God wants us to say. And therefore, if we aren't willing to challenge the sacred cows of our day, if we aren't up to preaching what Tom Holland called, and I like this, the weird staff or stuff of our faith, the weird stuff of our faith. You know, I keep saying that all the time that the Christian faith is really incomprehensible to natural man because it's so weird. What we believe as Christians, just think of it. There, There's no evidence for any of it except God's holy word. And that's how the Holy Spirit works within us to give us that assurance of faith. So I thought that was really a kind of a good point that much of Christianity has weird stuff of our faith, like three persons in one God, like a man dying on a cross from Nazareth, like a man rising from the dead and the many miracles that are done. All that is weird. And the only reason you and I believe it is because it's in the Bible. And, uh, I mean, he also goes on to say that uh, we inquire uh, embodied in relational salvation. The author of Hebrews warns his readers not to forsake the the, uh, gathering together as is the habit of some. So we're reminded to be in church with one another. Yes, in fact, I I like what he says then. The love between a husband and wife in Hebrews 
symbolizes the love Jesus has for his bride. The profound mystery to which Paul refers is a total union of body and soul between the Savior and his saved people. Our lives in Christ are just as physical as marriage. If you want to try a purely virtual relationship with your spouse, you shouldn't try a virtual relationship with Christ and his people. What would be a virtual relationship with the spouse? Well, a one-on-one relationship. Uh, You see your wife and you spend time with, with your wife and uh, in, in church, you know, the two virtual relationships, three actually, the means of grace. We have the word that comes to us. We have baptism that we celebrate. We have that meal, the Lord's Supper that he gives to us. Yes. Um, I understood virtual relationship to mean you're never with your wife. You always are dealing with her through the internet or through phone conversations. And he is saying that is not the kind of relationship that you want with Christ. You don't want to sit in a pew. What's one of the problems in sitting in a pew watching your worship service? One of the problems. Yes. What don't you receive? Uh, the, the body and blood of Christ. And right. Communion. You see, there's some pastors who over the Internet pretend Uh-oh. to indicate that they're receiving the body and blood of Christ, and, and that's not possible. No, and so not. sitting in the couch, you do not have that relationship with Christ. So, pretty good email here. It says, unless you're limited by a health issue or some other problem, you should always choose the pew over the couch. I think that's a really good point. So thanks so very much in giving us those insights for today. Uh, Tomorrow, if you want to ask me a question, email tombaker at brick.net, and we'll deal with that on Friday. Until then, God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your checkout to Law & Gospel and mail to Law & Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132, or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. 
Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.